The world we live in today is much different than the world we lived in just over two years ago. In this episode, we have a one-on-one conversation with Laura Ramirez. Ramirez is a psychotherapist. She has a master's of education in counseling and is a licensed professional counselor. Fear, anxiety, depression, trauma, uncertainty, and life transitions are all conditions that are very, very real, and they impact our lives and the lives of those around us on a daily basis. In this episode of the Latino Business Report, we discuss some of the top mental issues people are facing and methods you can use to maintain your own mental health. Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by Tamak, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. Tamak is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. And welcome to another episode. Today's guest is Laura Ramirez, a psychotherapist here in Texas, actually out of the Houston area. Laura, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me on your show, JR. You know, I know that May is Mental Health Month, and this is one of the reasons you're here, but you're a uh, psychotherapist. And for my own edification, can you please (laughs) tell me what the heck is a psychotherapist and what do you do? That is a very good question. I get that. I get asked that all the time. So I like to tell people that by day I uh, counsel adolescents adolescent children, uh, adolescent kids, uh, also giving their parents resources. And by night, I work through an online platform providing therapy, one-to-one therapy to adults. Um, I also, on occasion, work at a psychiatric hospital, um, just helping adolescents and adults just steer through life's difficulties. So basically therapy. I just provide mental health therapy to the different arenas that I work in. Okay. I'm often described by some people as an adolescent adult. So could you help me out on one of these private sessions? I could definitely, definitely help you out. You know, once we get through all your background and, you know, get some type of goal set up, that's something we could definitely do. I think that would be great for you. So in your professional opinion, (laughs) you think I I actually need help? Is that what you're saying, Laura? You know what I'm going to say is that everyone needs therapy. Everyone needs somebody to talk to. It's not just uh, people with difficulties. In seriousness, all jokes aside, everybody could use some type of therapy. Everybody needs somebody to talk to. Absolutely. And right now, mm-hmm. during what's going on, I mean, come on, look at the world we're in today. You don't, I mean, we have the wars overseas. We got food shortages. We got baby formula shortages. We have political unrest. We have, you know, shootings. We have fights on airlines. I mean, people are, uh, because of COVID, people are staying at home. They're not working. There's not enough people in the workforce. What is going on out there in the world? Yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on. You could add so many other things. All you have to do is turn your TV on and watch the daily news. And there's just like a plethora of horrible, horrible things going on. Um, you know, I can speak from the mental health uh, perspective. We two years ago, uh, actually two years ago, probably this month, a couple of months ago, we were in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, even just going back two years ago to 2000 to, to 2020, I don't even know what your word, 2020, um, a lot of, cha- a lot of things changed in the world. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty and we saw that in a global, um, on a global stage, we saw all kinds of uncertainty. So two years later, we're feeling, I guess, the aftershocks or the after effects of everything that took place during that time. And two of the biggest things that I see in therapy are, 
anxiety and depression. But as we all know, those are surface level uh, diagnoses that a lot of people come to therapy for. There's many things hidden under the surface that they're dealing with. And for a lot of people, it started two years ago. For a lot of people, it started 20 years ago. It's just, you know, it differs for every person. But definitely um, on the global perspective, there's a lot of things going on. People are uncertain about tomorrow. And that can cause a lot of anxiety. It can cause a lot of depression. Would it be safe to say, Laura, that people that maybe were existing these uh, symptoms already and then COVID and everything else just kind of amplified that for them? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, we're human. Uh, the human person struggles with all kinds of difficulties, whether it's relationships. One of the biggest things that I see are relationships. Uh, marriages are falling apart. And so there's just so many things taking place. There's uh, young children that are terrified, you know, of the future because they've lived through a global pandemic. They've had to distance themselves from their friends. They've had to go into, you know, the little box known as Zoom to be able to get their classes. There's just so many things going on. Um, if you look at adults, you know, we've had to social distance. We were used to gathering and networking and, and talking to people in person. And we've had to go away from that. And now we're reemerging into a different kind of world. True. And with this reemergence, I mean, kind of refer to COVID as in the past. It's not over. I no. mean, by, by no means it's not over. There's a resurgence going on. We don't know what type of new variant will come out or, or where are we at? So to your point, absolutely. We're living in a different world, mm -hmm. a different world that we're used to two and a half, three years ago. I mean, exactly. Just, just change. So is it safe to say that this change has really caused a lot of angst and anxiety amongst a lot of folks and has increased that whether they had some issues to begin with had amplified it and it's given people who were, I guess, mentally balanced and healthy. As you said, we all need help, but it's affecting them as well. Oh, definitely. It's just so many things have, you know, come up into the surface. Like you said, people that I guess we're living their lives prior to, uh, you know, going into lockdown or prior to being, you know, pretty much shut-ins in their home like we all were. Uh, prior to that, it changed people's lives. If you think about it, you think about a person that, you know, for the most part, there's nobody that you can say is normal because normal is, you know, that's not really a word that you can define. But if you look back prior to the pandemic, people were out there living their lives. They were uh, having dinner with friends. They were meeting. They were going to different events. Uh, the whole world shut down. And there was huge uncertainty as to when we were ever going to get back to where we were, back to what used to be called normal. Um, so just the uncertainty. So you take an, an average person who was living their life prior to the pandemic. You put them into a world that's full of uncertainties. And when they reemerge into this new kind of living, um, now you're seeing that manifest itself with anxiety and depression. Um, and then if you dig even deeper, you'll find that a lot of those um, diagnoses that we're looking at, there's lots more to uncover that had, had happened to them in the past. So if you think about therapy, it's kind of like, like people like to always say like an iceberg you see the, the tip of the iceberg and you see the anxiety, you see the depression, you see the stress, you see them, um, you know, their life isn't balanced anymore. But if you go further down into the iceberg, those realities manifested, they could have manifested during the, the pandemic as a whole, but it's things that people have been struggling with their entire lives that they just never brought to the surface. So the way I like to see it is, yes, the world changed in, in 2020, but 
all, what it really did was it was more of a, I guess you could say in the curse of everything, there was a blessing that emerged. People are more apt to reach out to someone to get mental health assistance um, because now they're struggling. So what okay. I'd like to say is in the midst of everything, in the midst of global of a global pandemic, of everybody changing, of the world changing, the blessing that's come out of this is that people are seeking help. They're um, putting aside their old biases as far as reaching or reaching out for someone to talk to and to to get therapy from. And they're putting all that aside and they're seeking help. Lord, you say that and I hear what you're saying, but are you are you based that on just the statistics? Is there more people? I mean, are you guys busier? You said okay. more people are reaching out. I'm trying to get where, where's the baseline for that for that information. The the research is not. I, I did a little bit of research, and the research is pretty old. It's pre pandemic uh, as far as numbers for mental health. But if you just look at the, I'm not going to state any numbers or percentages or anything. But we're booked. I mean, mental health professionals. Okay. Um, you know, like I said, online platforms, that's been a huge success right now because people don't have to leave their homes. You know, everybody's gotten very used to the, you know, Zoom platforms or different, you know, Google Meet platforms. It's easy now to access therapy. It's it's easier. It's more efficient. It's more um, easy. It's I guess it's more accessible by, by more people now. Okay. So, well, let me let me ask you this. I mean, amongst the in the Latino community, I mean, yes. Getting mental health is it's almost a, it's just not done that often. Right. Are you seeing an increase in, in your Latino clients as well? Or is that still one of those stigmas or taboos that that amongst the Latino community, they just don't want to admit it, therefore not wanting to go seek the treatment? I'm glad you asked that, because really, I, I don't even want to say anymore that it's a Latino uh, stigma. And, and actually it is. But what I'm seeing more of is that more Latinos in the younger generations, I see a lot of millennials. I see a lot of uh, Gen Zs. I say that because I have two children of my own that are both Gen Z children or, or they're not children. They're adults now. But uh, I see a lot of millennials that are seeking out for mental health. They see the importance in seeking out mental health. So when I see these clients, um, I usually get a background perspective on them. I ask them about their upbringing and all that. And what I have noticed is that a lot of them know that their parents who are in different generations, much like mine, which I'm a Gen Xer, uh, a lot of their parents are boomer uh, in the boomer generation. They do not seek mental health. And a lot of them now are uh, when they, you know, explain to their families that they're seeking mental health, mental health treatment. The thing that they get is, oh, you don't need that. You know, why are you doing that? Um, what's the importance of doing that? You don't need that. You know, just just get over it. So that's what I'm hearing from their parents. But the younger generations, Latino generations, they are seeking mental health um, assistance. And I think that's great. OK, so the old um, <laughs> the, the old method of praying over you, over, praying with an egg over you, and that's not going to hack it for the mental health. Um, you know what? Uh, that's a totally different topic. Uh, hey, but. <laughs> hey, don't, don't, hey, my abuelita did that too. I believe it. I believe in el ojo and the, you know, all that. I still believe in that. So I, let's just say that that's just an enhancement. Okay, that, that's another podcast altogether. <laughs> yeah, another one. That's another podcast. Let's, let's talk about workforce. As okay. we're looking at the workforce situation, we see I'm everywhere you go, help wanted, help wanted. Yes. It, it's just amazing to me where I'm looking at statistics where, 
you know, the federal government goes, these many more people came into the workforce, but yet we still have a work shortage. Then you have people that just don't want to go back to work. Exactly. What is, what, what's causing that? Well, uh, some of the things that I've been seeing in, as far as workplace, uh, men, it, you know, it's affecting their mental health. The, the number one factor for that kind of decision, and we all know about the great resignation, right? People are resigning from their jobs. Uh, they're either staying at home, they're choosing to stay at home for many reasons, and I'll talk about those in just a minute, or they're choosing to resign from a job that they really didn't like anyway, and they're trying to find their purpose in another career field. So, you know, they're in, we're in kind of that transition phase right now. But thinking about, you know, why people aren't returning to their workplace, um, there's many factors. And some of the things that I've seen are people are afraid to return to work because of anxiety, fear and anxiety. You know, we've, for over almost fear, a year. fear, fear and anxiety of what? Fear and anxiety of anything. Fear and anxiety of being in social settings. That's a big thing that I'm seeing. Social anxiety. Okay. Uh, people don't know how to relate to each other anymore. If you think about it, again, during the global pandemic, everybody moved to you know working from home. Now the global pandemic, it's at a different phase. Like you said, it's not over, but it's in a different phase right now. So people were asked to return back to their face-to-face settings. And a lot of, and, and don't mean to interrupt, but no. when you say everyone who worked from the home, not everybody not had everyone. that opportunity. No, I mean, I you, had, that, yeah. you had a lot of essential workers, which were primarily right. about 70% of the workforce is Latino. And those were the essential workers who are out there every right. day risking exposure, dealing with all that stuff. So there is a, a large segment of the exactly. population that got to work from home that had those advantages. And there's a large mm-hmm. section that didn't. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Point, point yeah. So, and I no, just want to kind of, I want to declare, clarify that a little bit in that it's, it's kind of, and that's what adds to the whole confusion in the world. You have some that have been at it ever since, some that are not, some that don't want to go back. And some are just, some of those essential workers are just burned out. It's kind of like, a, yeah, yes. basta, I'm tired. Yeah. That's the other point um, I was going to get to is that, you know, they're, so thinking about the people, and let me just talk about the people that were able to work from home and then had to return back uh, into an office setting or a school setting, whatever okay. the case may be. Um, so just the fear, the social anxiety, uh, you see that a lot in our adolescents. You know, they, they lost a good portion of their, their life. If you think about somebody who's 10, 12 years old, when they were uh, at home learning remotely or whatever the case may be, they lost 10% of their life during that time, Right. Because of their age. So, yes, you go back to the workers that are essential, the ones that were at the were delivering packages. You know, um, my husband works for a, a delivery company and he's worked the entire time. You know, he was on the road when everybody was at home. So I totally understand that okay. uh, because p- packages had to get delivered. Right. Uh, because you stores, couldn't go to the store shopping anymore. Cause exactly. They were out. Exactly. In fact, their, uh, production hugely went up instead of, you know, just being during the Christmas peak season throughout all of COVID, they were under a lot of stress. So you talk about those essential workers, you talk about the workers that, uh, the frontline workers at the grocery store, they have never had, you know, a month or, or five months off where they not off, but where they were able to stay at home and work from home. So you look at that other side of it, that, like you said, they're burnt out. Um, they didn't have that luxury of waking up and, and turning on a computer and working from home. They actually had to get in their car and face the uncertainty. So if you look at that side of it, that's a lot of stress too. the workers, the frontline workers working at the grocery stores, delivering packages. They have always 
put themselves out there in the midst of this uh, pandemic danger. They don't know what they're what they're picking up when they're out in the field. And they were taking the risk. Yes, they were, they were taking, taking the risk. risk. They're honestly, they're superheroes because they went out there and did the work when people needed, you know, those essential items to be brought to them or delivered to them or or stock, you know, stocking the shelves for for food and yeah. such. But yes, definitely. So and I see have, your point. And I, and I see your point, but calling them superheroes. Cause yeah, I, I believe they're very heroic in their actions, but at the same time, a lot of these folks didn't have a choice. Right. It's either if you didn't work, you couldn't feed the family, you couldn't pay right. the bills. I mean, you, you didn't have a savings, you didn't have a 401k, you didn't have some of these other things that were existing. So the, the, the heroic things of going to work during the pandemic uh, for, for those essential workers, they had no choice. And then it, at that, I could just imagine the mental stress for that situation. Oh, definitely. That's a huge, huge mental stress for them because like you said, they had no choice and they were going out there and didn't know much like, much like the stresses that people are having now, they go to work and they're uncertain as to what they're going to bring back home to their young children, uh, to their elderly family members. You know, there's all kinds of things that they could contract while they're at work and bringing it home. Much like during the pandemic phase, when we had all these superheroes going out working every day, um, just the mental stress of it, because you think about it, you're in a family of four, let's just say two people are essential workers. They were working in delivery or service and delivery business. And the other two were working from home. Even just that discrepancy causes some type of mental stress because Absolutely. it's like, why do I have to get up, get dressed, drive on the freeways that are completely empty uh, to get to the job where I'm an essential worker, but you continue working from home, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was just that, that, there's a lot of mental, um, I guess, mental changes that took place during that time because of the, of the, you know, lack of, I just want to say lack of, of, um, what am I trying to say? You know, people that lack of balance because everybody was used to getting up and now you have half of the family staying home, working from home and half the family's going to work. And then you try to talk about things and there's really not much to talk about. So you add a whole disconnect. Exactly. So you add a whole lot of other issues there because you're not on the same page anymore. You're not out there in the workforce anymore. It's a little bit different. So there's a lot of things. You have the workforce and let's look at it for a second from the employer. I mean, the business owners, the business owners, the managers, and there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. I mean, the kind of stress that they're dealing with, Mm -hmm. the fact that my my restaurant has been closed or my business has been closed due to COVID. I still have to pay the mortgage. I still have to pay the bills. I still have these expenses or it goes, ah, finally opening up. I can open up, but I have nobody to work. Exactly. Even today, I mean, restaurants or pizza places or everything, they're closing early or you'll see a sign, you know, closed because of no staff, lack of staff. It's, I can only imagine the frustration. Well, no, I can more than imagine the frustration of folks that are employers that are business owners that that are trying to make a living and add to the economy and give people jobs, yet nobody wants a job. Where it yeah. seems like nobody wants a job. And that's you're right. That's what it seems like. Like nobody wants a job. There's plentiful. It's like you just mentioned right now. There's lots of openings at different restaurants, different um, you know little small businesses. They, like you said, they they don't have the staff to be able to maintain their regular work hours, which in turn brings them money, which in turn pays the bills. So even just adding the financial stressors, which eventually turn into anxiety and depression, those two factors right there, they're huge mental health issues that people have to struggle with every single day in the workforce. Whether you're a, an entrepreneur and you have your business or you're a manager 
who has to schedule these uh, employees that choose to, they just, uh, you know, one day to the next decide they're not going to come back to work anymore. That adds a stress to those people that are, are in those jobs that are managing schedules and managing people and managing, uh, you know, shifts and managing, you know, when our place is going to be open and when it's not. So there's another factor right there. Now, this stress and anxiety is just not limited to adults. It happens with our children as well. Mm-hmm. And I know one, I feel, I mean, my heart goes out, especially to those juniors and seniors these past couple of years. I mean, their high school yeah. years, they're no prom, no event. I mean, some of the memorable lifetime experiences that you can have, they were not able to have because of, because of COVID and because yeah. of the lockdown. And then another thing about, I want to ask is as, and you may not have the answer, but as a society, how adversely has COVID affected the development of our children as far as not being in school, not having that social contact, not being able to develop and grow in what we once knew as a normal society, but now the normal, we have, we're, we're adapting to a new normal. How has that affected them? Again, that's just a huge change. It's like, it's almost like they had a gap in their life uh, because, you know, it's so sequential. Uh, the public, the education system in Texas or in the United States, the United States as a whole, it's so sequential. You know, you go from one grade, it ends at the end of, of May or June, and then you're promoted to the next grade in August, right? It's so sequential. That uh, consistency, that uh, linear consistency was changed during the pandemic. You know, kids didn't know when school started and when it ended, you know, and then once they were able to go back in person, now you're dealing with the fear and anxiety. First of all, you're dealing with social anxiety, as I mentioned before. Um, you know, it, there's already a social anxiety uh, wave that hits students, you know, right around adolescent, right around 12 to 14 years of age. They go through. Yeah, it's, it's tough enough. It's tough yeah. enough growing up. Exactly. Exactly. It's tough enough growing up. And then once again, when they're a little bit older and heading into high school, but even just that alone, forget about adding a global pandemic, that alone is a huge stress, a huge um, time when social anxiety sets into to children, which leads them into adulthood. So if you just look at that, just the change in, uh, you know, just the way kids grow, they've changed, their hormones change, their mentality has, has started to change, they care a lot about their friends, they care a lot about social aspects, that completely got turned on its head during the pandemic. Then we go back and, you know, schools are able to, to hold in session schools. About half of the students returned in 2021 to school. So 2020 to 2021 school year, about half of the students decided to go back in person. They were given that option. And generally amongst, you know, Texas, the, the ratio was about 50% continued to stay online and 50% went in person. Well, this school year, 2021 to 2022, it was mandated that all children, well, in most districts, especially in this area, that they attend school in person. They didn't have the online option. So kids came back to school, whether they wanted to or not, they had to attend school in person. That opened up a whole slew of social anxiety concerns as well, because for a year and a half, they haven't even been around people, much less even know these people that they're going to school with. So you add that layer on top of the fact that they're struggling with academics and there's just so many layers of and stress. And I, I can imagine, yeah. especially in some district, do you wear a mask? Do you don't wear a mask? Exactly. School board fights. I mean, when parents, I, it's, it yeah. was unfathomable to me to see grown adults physically getting into fights at a school board exactly. meeting over whether their kid should wear a mask or not. I mean, exactly. to, me, to me, it's a level of absurdity. I mean, yeah. I believe everybody has a right to think the way they, they do. 
you know, stand up for your rights, but you don't need to come to physical violence to to try to make a point. And again, that is more prevalent now. Physical violence. People don't know how to communicate, which is, uh, you know, you see that in in kids, but you see it in adults. People do not know how to communicate. You add that. And, and think about this, even before the pandemic, if, since we're focusing on that as a pivotal change point, even before the pandemic, cell phones, one cell phones and texting came in. What do we do more of text, right? Mm-hmm. So you send a text that's misconstrued. It's turned into something else. The communication gap is huge. People don't pick up the phone anymore. They don't look at each other in the face. They don't uh, hear people's voices. Huge communication gap right there. And that was even pre-COVID. Yeah. And don't get me into emojis. Man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Forget it. You know? Yeah. What exactly. the heck does that mean? Um, what? Okay. So we're, we're in a bit of a plight here globally with everything going on um, from an individual basis. Cause if there's no way we're going to solve the problems of the world on this show, but uh, are you sure? podcast, are we you might, sure we, we might give it. it, give it, give us enough time. <laughs> but what are, if, if somebody out there, Laura is feeling anxiety. They're feeling this, mm-hmm. this, this disconnect. If, if they're, what can they do? Is there anything they can do at home short of, I mean, and I'm, I'm advocating for anybody. I mean, if you need help, reach out, you know, and, and at, on the podcast notes, I'll even give a phone number. And if with your permission, I'll give your, your email address or somebody, if somebody wants to reach out to you personally, you know, about maybe continuing some help, but what can somebody do at home for themselves that will relieve some of that stress that they're experiencing? Well, there are a lot of things that uh, people can do at home. And during therapy, we call them coping mechanisms or coping skills. Uh, some of the things that work really well for anxiety and depression. Now, they don't work for everybody 100%, but at least I always tell my clients, just try it. At least try it out. You never know if it's going to work for you. But some of the things sure. that I tell my clients to do is definitely get moving. Uh, do some exercises. You know, go out and, and get some fresh air. Endorphins do a lot for mental health. Um, have you ever heard of something called the runner's high, JR? I've heard of it. Okay. Well, that's when you're a runner or a walker runner and you're running and you just keep going. Like your body just keeps going and it keeps going because of the endorphins that you produce as you're exercising. So I tell people get moving because endorphins make you happy. Uh, endorphins are like your internal happiness. So I tell people get out there, do something, do something active that you enjoy. It doesn't have to be running. It can be walking. It can be playing a sport. Just get out there and do something. So get moving. Uh, the other thing I always mention is uh, meditation. A few years back, like maybe seven or eight years ago, um, a friend of mine introduced me to meditation and she started off by telling me, we're just going to try this and you're just going to have to be quiet for 30 seconds. Okay. Meditation. All right. I understand yeah. the, I understand the running can make okay. you happy. But for me, if I'm running, something's chasing me. All right. So I'm usually not that happy. But when you're, when, when you're talking about meditation, you're not talking about like little music and burning incense and well, sitting in a... It can be legs. that. You know what? Meditation is whatever you want it to be. But let me explain something. And a lot of people get this confused. They always think meditation means a prayer. Okay. I'm a huge proponent of prayer, you know, whatever your spiritual background is. But the difference between meditation and prayer is meditation is just sitting and being. You can have a little bit of music. You don't have to. It just depends on what's best for you. Meditation is really just being in the moment, sitting there. And and the thing that I always tell people is when you're meditating, you know, we're humans. Things come through our minds, especially those of us who multitask all the time. So we have these thoughts like we're sitting there and we're like, okay, let me start making a grocery list of what I have to go get. 
okay, this is the thing I have to do when I get home. Oh, I have to do this podcast. Let me make notes of what I got to do, you know, to get ready for the podcast, whatever the case may be. So those are all thoughts that come to our head, you know, millions of times throughout the day, you know, every second of the day. So meditation is just a time for you. And that's why I tell people set a timer and start very small. So even like a 30 second, I was going back to the, to the story of my friend. We were running one day and we stopped at a, at a lake and she said, uh, let's try this thing where we just sit here for 30 seconds and just look at the water. I said, okay, great. I can do it. 30 seconds. And so she said, I'm going to set my timer. Do you know that the first time I tried it, I could not keep my mouth closed. Like I kept talking. I'm like, this is a long time. 30 seconds is a long time when you're just sitting there. Knowing you the way I do it. (laughs) Yes. I I believe that. (laughs) Yeah. I just can't stop talking. Right. So that's why I tell, you know, and once, once you get into the habit of 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, and I always tell my clients this because I always say, try some meditation. And what I mean by meditation is just sit and be, don't think of anything. You don't have to pray. You don't have to tell God everything that you want to happen in your life. You just sit. And let me just tell you, JR, it makes a world of difference because it will help you become more of a calmer person in the long run. You will eventually start to see that you're more clear headed. You uh, can deal with things just a little bit better. You're not as as edgy. You know, you don't try to you don't jump on people when they say something. It really does change your life, but it has to be a consistent practice. But again, start with 10 seconds, start with 30 seconds, whatever your capability is, start somewhere. The point is, is that you just sit there and you just be, just be for like 30 seconds. I have a lot of clients who say, okay, I'm going to try meditation. I'm going to do it for 10 minutes. No, don't do it for 10 minutes. You'll hate it. You'll quit. You'll never do it again. Start with like 10 seconds, 30 seconds and progress. You know, even if it's just once a week, just after, up to you know, uh, up to about up to what time? I mean, oh, you can do as long as you want. I know I've known people who can meditate up to an hour. Now that's, you know, after years of practice. But what I'm telling everybody here is start small. Okay. 10 seconds, 30 seconds, and then increase it by like five seconds every couple of baby, days. Or so. Baby steps, baby, baby steps. steps. Yes. Okay. The other so thing they, uh-huh. okay. I say we talked about running. We talked about meditation, Get running, my, meditation, a couple more things. Um, journaling. If you like to write, you like to process your feelings. That's just a great way to process. Um, one of the things that I like to do is I tell my clients, just get yourself a little notebook, a little uh, composition book you know, just journal your thoughts. It's always good to put your feelings, your thoughts out on paper. Um, they can, there's lots of great little journals out, you know, out in bookstores or, you know, Target or somewhere where they have like a sentence starter and it can be geared towards your feelings, towards your relationships, towards yourself. A lot of people need to just sit and just think about themselves, have some, uh, self-improvement going on. Um, and just journal. Sometimes there's some little sentence starters that'll say like, uh, today I feel dot, dot, dot. And you just yeah. journal. Um, and when, so you just about journaling, your- when you talk about journaling, you're talking about writing something down well, for yourself. I mean, it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Nobody else has to yeah. see it. It's just and, for you. And you can, I assume you can journal on your laptop. I mean, you can journal on your phones. I always tell, you know, I, like I said, I have a lot of clients that are millennials are always on their phone. I said, pull out your phone. You have a note section. Just type in some ideas whenever you feel like it. You have a certain feeling. You have a certain. Uh, one of the things I work on with a lot of with my clients is uh, negative thoughts about themselves. Uh, we're very good to say bad things about ourselves. We're very quick on that, but we're not quick on on saying good things about ourselves. So I always tell them journal the bad things and then and then turn it around into a positive. Change your negative cognition to a positive cognition, and that can also easily be done on your note section of your phone because everybody has a phone. Or get a good old old fashioned journal. I like paper. I like pens, uh, write it down on paper. 
where whatever it is, get your thoughts out somewhere, whether it's on your phone or on a, on a piece of paper, get your thoughts out. It really helps to get those out there and out into the surface so that you can process those thoughts. Wow. Paper and pen. That's very, paper and boom, pen. that's very, so boom, antiquated. Boom, that's, that's boomerish of you. <laughs> um, okay. Right. So the other thing that I always tell people is make sure you're getting enough sleep. Sleep is vital to mental health. Uh, a lot of times, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, I can do it with three to four hours of sleep. No, you can't. The body is made to sleep between eight to 10 hours. Uh, so make sure you're getting sleep. You're just like a cell phone. If you don't plug your cell phone in, it dies. It's useless. You're the cell phone. You need to plug yourself in. And the way you plug yourself in and get recharged is to get some sleep. So sleep is vital. I know that people are on the go constantly. You know, you're always like, well, I'll sleep later. No, you need to get eight to 10 hours of sleep every single night. Uh, and you know, some people can function on seven, but for the most part, sleep is very, very important. So, uh, that's one of the things that people should be doing as well. And I have a laundry list of more, but I'm sure you don't want me to keep going. How about, how about breathing? I've always heard. Oh, breathing is huge. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about not regular breathing (laughs) to live, but I mean, is there some sort of breathing exercise? Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, there's, uh, something called a four, four, six breathing exercise that I always teach my clients. And that's count, is that an uh, area code or what? Yeah, it is. Instead of seven, one, three, it's four, four, six, um, four, four, six. It's a four second inhale. You inhale for four seconds. You hold it at the top for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, deeply exhale for six. So the four, four, six wait, method, a, wait, a, a four second inhale, I mean, four second inhale, inhale for four seconds, hold it for four seconds at the top, exhale deeply for six. And then I always count for them. You're not exhaling, JR. <laughs> <laughs> you count really slow. So I don't know if your counts are good. But I'm a slow reader, too. So maybe okay, that is so worse. yeah, maybe you don't have a, a JR count for you when you're doing. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'll, I'll work yeah, my that's way up to that on but 446 is great. Um, also, um, you know, one of the things I always say, too, is and I saw this quote it was quoted by, uh, I believe, uh, I don't know which one, but one of the Buddhas says that if you can control your breathing, you can control your life. And that is so true, because if you think about it, if you have shortness of breath, you get really mad, uh, you know, your breath gets labored, you get short breaths and you can't control how you breathe. So breathing is vital. Thank you for mentioning that. That's one of the top um, coping strategies is just being able to breathe. When you're in a, a situation where you have anxiety or you're in a stressful, you know, place or stressful time, just breathe, you know, and if that means stepping outside of your office and going outside and just taking a breath of fresh air, do that too. But definitely I like the four, four, six, four seconds in, hold four seconds at the top and then deeply exhale for six seconds. Do that three or four times. It really puts you back in a good headspace. Perfect. Laura, thank you so much for for joining us today. This has been very, I know it's been helpful for me. I hope it's been helpful for some of our listeners. I need to remember to breathe. And that meditation thing I'll work on. And as far as running, I'm usually not happy when I run. Something's chasing me, but (laughs) I will work on that in baby steps as well. Start walking then. (laughs) Get out there and start walking. Yeah, I drive across the street for a taco. I mean, come on, give me a break. <laughs> so, um, yes, this is a very important and serious subject, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to talk about it. And May is Mental Health Month, but, you know, you need mental health all year round, not just in May. All the time, yeah. So any closing comments or tips or advice you have for, for anybody out there? A tip for everybody is just put yourself first. I That's what I always say is you have to love yourself first. I know that we're – 
we're people that uh, just want to take care of everyone, you know, especially Latinos. We're, we're family oriented. We put everybody else first before us. But what I always tell people is put yourself first because it's just like the analogy with the, with the life preserver. If you're in the ocean and you're, you're gasping for air and you need somebody to save you, you need to put the life preserver on yourself before you can help somebody else out of the water. So put yourself first, love yourself first, figure out who you are and, and just practice self-love every single day. Hard to do for a Latino, for a lot of Latino women, but I understand. Very hard. Gosh. Very hard. But thank you very much. Folks, you've been listening to the Latino Business Report. I'm your host, J.R. Gonzalez. We've had Laura Ramirez, a uh, psychotherapist, giving us some tips on how to cope in this crazy world. If you like what you heard, give us a like. You can follow the Latino Business Report anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you next time.